everybody's frustrated about something. When they tell you what they're frustrated about, focus on hyperbole, like awful, horrendous, terrible, or inflection. They raise their voice. And when they use those, they're giving you the tip of the iceberg. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with me, Jen Hatmaker. Today, we're going to talk about how to reconnect with others through listening with psychiatrist and executive coach, Dr. Mark Goulston. Hey, everybody, Jen Hatmaker here, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show. Whoa, I hope you either need to buckle up or grab a pen and paper or at least be prepared to go to jenhatmaker.com later for the show notes because this one is packed. Like it's absolutely packed. Even as the interviewer, I'm going to have to go back and kind of comb through this conversation because there was so much in there to walk away with and to use immediately. You know that we're in the middle of a series called For the Love of Reconnecting. As we've just thought deeply as a team about you and about where we are in our lives, in our families, and relationships just so incredibly disconnected from one another, from ourselves, from God in some cases, from our neighbors. And so we have talked a lot throughout this series about ways to reconnect. And in a lot of ways, we've been talking about reconnecting with ourselves, which is hard work that often we have to do first before we can meaningfully connect with somebody else. But it's time for us to really begin to look sideways again, to look at the people around us as we begin to re-engage the world. And I think one of the greatest tools that we need to assess, to consider, to really put into high rotation in terms of intentionality and practice and priority is listening. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how to reconnect with other people through listening, gosh, I'm not doing the intro justice here because that sounds really basic. And this conversation is not basic. You know, listening leads to understanding when understanding leads to empathy and empathy leads to the kind of relationships we are all craving. So, wow. Today's conversation is with a true expert, psychiatrist and executive coach, Dr. Mark Goulston. So, Dr. Goulston is very well known for having an almost magical ability for reaching people. He's a TEDx speaker. He was a former hostage negotiation trainer, and he hosts the My Wake Up Call podcast and has been called upon by endless corporate leaders for his gifts in conflict resolution. His book, Just Listen, reveals the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone anyone, which we're going to talk about in just a second. And so you'll want to stay for that alone. But this is the stuff, man. He puts the tools in our hands to break through, to get through, to heal our relationships. Uh, Put me in the hot spot a couple times. (laughs) Oh, I love it when my guests turn it on me. This is a good one. This is a good one, you guys. Useful useful, practical, and tactile. I am so pleased to share my conversation with the very, very wise and smart and experienced Dr. Mark Goulston. Dr. Goulston, I am just delighted to have you on the show today. I was just telling you that I'm very much looking forward to this conversation, to learning from you. So thanks so much for your time. 
Well, the, the pleasure is all mine. And, you know, the nice thing about people saying nice things like you just did, it gives me something to live up to. <laughs> That's so true. That's so great. Uh, I love these standards we set for each other. That's fantastic. I'm going to put my chips on you today. I'm betting on you. No pressure, just absolutely no pressure at all. So I wonder, I've told my listeners a little bit about you, kind of your bio and your credentials, but I would love to hear a little bit more about you in your own words, if you wouldn't mind, before we get kind of into your work. Can you tell us where you are in the world? what kind of work you are doing and how you've kind of gotten to where you are. Okay. Well, where I am in the world, I, I'm in Los Angeles and my, my work started, I'm a psychiatrist. And for 30 years, I was a boots on the ground specialist in suicide prevention. And none of my patients died by suicide. And one of my early mentors was a pioneer in the field. If anyone studies suicide or suicide prevention, they'll know the name Ed Schneidman. And he used to refer me still suicidal inpatients who needed to be discharged. He'd do a consultation and they weren't acutely suicidal. And the residents, I'm a psychiatrist, many of the residents just didn't want to see them as outpatients because they weren't acutely suicidal, but they were still suicidal. And I think the greatest fortune I had is that when I finished training, a fellowship I was going to go into got canceled at the last minute. And so I just shrugged my shoulders and I said, well, maybe I'll just go into practice. And what I noticed as I was seeing suicidal patients is I wasn't locked in to checking boxes because I didn't have to report them to the institution. Yes, I had to fill out forms. And many of the suicidal patients I saw were multiple attempters. And I learned to sort of listen into their eyes. And what I noticed is that when I was checking boxes, people would be screaming at me with their eyes. And they'd say, you're checking boxes and I'm running out of time. And eventually the screaming in their eyes got louder. And I realized that the checking the boxes was a way of me maintaining a distance from all that pain and suffering What I also began to feel is they couldn't come to me. I had to go to them. And so I put aside the clipboard and I learned to listen into their eyes. Can I share an anecdote that may give you the chills? Yeah, please. So one of my patients, we'll call Nancy, she had made three or four suicide attempts before I started seeing her. She'd been in the hospital and Dr. Schneidman referred her to me and I was seeing her for about six months and I didn't think I was helping her. Although she came in dutifully a couple times a week, maybe three times a week, and she never really made eye contact. She wasn't catatonic, but she was pretty lifeless. And I used to moonlight once a month early in my practice, which means I'd cover for other doctors at a state psychiatric hospital. I'd do the admissions. I'd go on the wards. And sometimes you're up for 36 hours. So there was one weekend when I was up for 36 hours, and I come in on Monday, and there's Nancy. And I sit down, and she's like this. And as I'm looking out at the room, the color turned to black and white. So I'm looking out at a room, and it is now black and white. And then I got these chills. And I thought, I'm having a stroke or seizure. So I'm a psychiatrist and trained in neurology. So she's like this, and it wasn't rude. I did a neurologic exam on myself. I'm going like this, I'm going like this, I'm going like this, like this, like that. And I had this realization, I'm not having a stroke or a seizure. Then I had this crazy idea that I was looking out at the world through her eyes, feeling what she felt. Black and white and cold. 
So I leaned into it and I leaned in more. And then at one point, I said to her something that I didn't write in the record, and you'll understand why. I said, Nancy, I didn't know it was so bad, and I can't help you kill yourself. But if you do, I will still miss you. And I'll think well of you. And maybe I'll understand why you had to do it to get out of the pain. And I thought, did I say that or did I think that? And I realized I just gave her permission to do it. And that was the first time she really laid eye contact on me. So she looked at me. And I thought she was going to say, thank you for understanding. I'm overdue. And I said, what are you thinking, Nancy? And she looked at me and she said, if you can really understand why I might have to kill myself to get out of the pain, maybe I won't need to. Wow. Powerful. And then I leaned in because I had her eyes like I'm having your eyes. And I said, would it be okay with you if I didn't give you any treatment recommendations, unless you ask for them, because you've already been through those and most of them haven't worked. And then you'd have to come back and tell me why you didn't do it. So would it be okay if I didn't give you those unless you asked for them? And she looked at me with a look that said, keep talking, I'm intrigued. And I'm looking into her eyes and I said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to find you wherever you are. And I'm going to keep you company there. Because you've been there alone too long. Would that be okay? And she started to tear up. And so that's how I work with suicidal patients. In a sense, I went into the dark night of the soul. And what I've been trying to teach the world, and here's a tip because your listeners hopefully said, that's a heck of a story, but I can't do that. Well, maybe you can. Last year, I spoke in Moscow along with a Nobel Prize winner, a fellow named Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book, Thinking Fast and Slow. And they had me over there because five of my eight books are bestsellers in Russia. And what I taught the Russians, a thousand Russians, managers, CEOs, I said, I'm going to teach you a different way of communicating that will change your life. And Jen, I'm saying to you, and I'm saying to your viewers and listeners, it will change your life if you do the following every day for a week, and hopefully forever. What I said to the audience, and what I'm saying to you and your audience, is if I focus on what you're listening to, I could rattle off a bunch of bullet points, and you write them down, you try some of them, most of them wouldn't work because you're not me. And if I'm engaging, what I said to the audience, if I'm engaging, you'll give me your mind, you know, for an hour. And then I put on my Gen NPR voice. And I said, but if instead of focusing on what you're listening to, I focus on what you're listening for. And without you telling me what that is, if I get it right and deliver on what you're listening for, you'll give me everything. And I'm going to demonstrate it with you, Jen. Are you game? So up until what I'm sharing, you know, you've been listening to me and I've tried to give you some information and hopefully it's relevant and hopefully we've already delivered a few tips that your audience can use. But I think this is what you're listening for. And tell me if it's true, if something changes in you. Okay. I think what you're listening for is that your audience trusts you. They trust you to help them. They trust you to make their lives better. They trust you to give them hope. 
They trust you to give them tactics. And you want to honor that trust. It's as much a calling as it is just a show. And you can't get it out of your head how much you want to honor that trust. So you're listening for guests who can give them tools and tactics that they can use immediately. So is any of that accurate? Yeah, very much so. Tons. I'm thinking of them as you're talking. I'm thinking about what I know of them, what they've told me, what feels broken or compromised in their relationships around communication right now and listening. And I'm thinking about it in my own life too. And already feeling like, oh yes, this is exactly what somebody hit play for today. This, you're delivering it. So you're right. I'm deeply thinking about the community that I'm putting you in front of today. But could you feel a slight shift from listening to, to li- that I was pretty active? Oh yeah, all of a sudden it was personal and I'm in a real conversation with you as a human person who feels a little bit seen, a little understood. And see, here are some tips how to make that happen in your life. I try to use experience near language versus experience distant language. Hmm. What, I've discussed, what does that mean? Experience near means you can feel it at the same time you understand it. Experience distant is you, it's more intellectual and you have to think about it and understand it. So here's an example of a very experienced near communication tip. It's called the FUD crud. FUD crud, no, I'm not being obscene. I FUD crud because you'll remember it. So what does FUD stand for? Okay, there you are. You're trying to communicate with someone who's venting. Or they're giving you the silent treatment. And Instead of getting provoked, if they're venting, instead of saying, now, can you calm down so we can have a rational conversation, which is just going to make it escalate? Or if they're sullen, instead of saying, would you like to talk? And inside they mutter. What you do, especially if they're venting, is you let them vent, let them finish, and you pause for two to three seconds. And and you pause looking into their eyes, and they're expecting you to try and calm them down or shut them down. And so when you don't do that, they're a little off balance. And here's the FUD crud technique. And you look at them and you say, you seem frustrated and I think you're holding back. What? You seem frustrated and I think you're holding back because I think you're upset and disappointed too. Can you fill me in on those? Maybe we can fix this. And see, most people will talk about what they're frustrated That's why you lead with that. If you say to someone, you seem upset, they're going to get defensive. I am not upset. You seem angry. It sounds like you're scolding them, but everybody's frustrated about something. And here's another communication tip. When they tell you what they're frustrated about, focus on hyperbole, like awful, horrendous, terrible, or inflection. They raise their voice. And when they use those, they're giving you the tip of the iceberg. And so if they use the word, it's just awful between us, or I can't stand our relationship, let them say it, pause for a second or two, don't get defensive, and and then you say, say more about the I can't stand it. Say more about the awful. So what's happening is when they're using hyperbole or an adverb or an adjective, that's the tip of the iceberg, and you're telling them, go deeper. 
and then they go deeper. And then you might even say, it's still not all out. Say more. And they say more. And then you say, you know, I think I'm right because if I was you, I'd be upset too. What are you upset about? And you say it that way. If I was you, I'd be upset because you don't want to make them feel like you're judging them. And they'll tell you what they're upset about. And then you go deeper. You say, say more about that. And what you're trying to do is you're threading the needle to just calming them down. And when they finish that, then you switch over to, and I bet you're disappointed in me, in we're back here again, in you, in what? So can you see how that's inviting them to enter into the conversation? And so experience their language is frustrated, upset, and disappointed. Yeah, that's powerful. Instead of just putting somebody right back on their heels and ending the conversation really before it even lifts off the ground. Right. And so that's also an example of surgical empathy. You're going in and empathizing and pulling people up. So here's another example, because one of the things I'm passionate about, I'm a suicide prevention specialist. And I'm retired now, but I go around the world and I do programs with parent groups and town hall meetings and counselors. You know, just sharing this. I'm not trying to replace what they're already doing. I'm saying, hey, it seemed to work for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And so here's three tips to use if you're worried about a teenager. And we're all worried about teenagers now. They're all shut down. An insight, a friend of mine who reached out to me after his 14-year-old son killed himself two years ago, he reached, his name is Jason Reed. And if you can remember Teen Mental Health Webinar on YouTube, Teen Mental Health Webinar on YouTube, and basically he talks to these men about it was his fault that his kid killed himself. Yeah. But what Jay gave me, one of these observations that just grabs you, and I don't know if it'll grab you. He said, you know, Mark, when you ask a teenager or spouse, how are you doing? And they say, great. They're usually pretty good. But if they say, I'm fine, they're not. I thought, wow, he's right. When they say, I'm fine, what they're really saying is, leave me alone. So here's the signal you say to someone who doesn't want to communicate, I'm fine. And you say to them, uh, look, none of us are fine. And uh, can I ask you a few questions I'm just concerned about? What? What, mom? What, dad? And then you look them in the eye and you say, at its absolute worst, how awful are you capable of feeling? They're going to go, what? Yeah, awful, not awful behavior, but awful feeling. Many teenagers will say they're still suspicious of this conversation. Pretty awful. And then you go deeper. Pretty awful or very awful? Okay, very awful. And when you're feeling very awful, how alone do you feel? Pretty alone. Pretty alone or all alone? Okay, all alone. And then you say to them, take me to the last time you felt it. Mm, well, good question. Yeah, was it 2.30 in the morning? Because we heard you walking around in your room and it sounded like you couldn't get back to sleep or it could have been some other time. Take me there. And here's a magical thing. When they take you there, when your teen opens up and says, okay, you really want to know? It was 2.30. I couldn't get back to bed. I tried to get bed. I, I wanted to scream. I wanted to cry. I punched the pillow. I walked around. I felt like putting my, my fist through the wall, maybe my head through the wall, and it just wouldn't go away. And I had a big day the next day and just wouldn't go away. And then I started 
you know, looking around the house for some of your expired sleeping meds. I couldn't find them and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and finally the sun rose. And see, when they share the story so clearly that you can see it, they refeel it, but they're not alone. And then what you say to them, I get a favor to ask you, what? And by this time, hopefully they're less surly. What? Whenever you're feeling that way, I want you to do whatever it takes. And I mean whatever it takes to get your dad or my attention. Because there is nothing more important to us and helping you to feel less alone when you're feeling that way. Mm, And sometimes we're a little preoccupied. But that's the most important thing to us. And I need your help. And I want you to tell me you'll do that. So can you see how something like that can be a little different than some of the conversations we have? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It takes the conversation from what are sometimes outward behaviors just body language way, way, way down to the center of the thing, which is hard with teens sometimes. It's hard to get there, but you've really threaded the needle there with some precision. And by the way, when you're doing this, to build on your it's hard with teens, do not ever have a heart-to-heart talk with a teen or maybe even your male spouse when they don't want to. They hate heart-to-heart talks. Trust me on this. What you do, though, is you do it during an activity. Yeah, right. You know, I learned that being a driver. Yeah, and sometimes you do it maybe when you're driving because your eyes are not looking at each other. Right, exactly. And it's kind of a hypothetical question. Something else that you, uh, if you're worried about your teens' uh, focus in school, something else that teens may be open to is, again, while you're driving, you say, you know, I have a couple questions I'm just curious about. And you don't lead with the homework, but you might say something like, how do you tell the difference in your class between someone who's going to get in trouble this year and someone who isn't? What? Yeah. And you don't tell them who to get involved with, but what you're doing is you're feeding them judgment, common sense. Well, so-and-so. Well, why? Well, because they got in trouble four times last year. Oh, wow. Wow. And you're teaching them how to develop judgment. But what you want to really lead up to is how do you tell the difference between a course that you can study for at the last minute and one that you better, you know, keep up to date or else you fall behind? So they'll answer those questions if you're curious about how they think and understand. And what you're seeing is the beginnings of judgment and perspective. And they're going to internalize that. Does that make sense? That's good. It makes sense. And literally, my wheels are just turning and turning and turning over conversations I'm having right now in the house, in the family, and where they've gone sideways and why, and how to get to the center of the matter in a way that's inviting and engaging and less luxury and frustrated. It's frustrated because it's, that just shuts it down. So Jen, given where you're at, you're going to like this last and if I know my audience, you're going to chuckle at this. So try not to be so easy. Try not to be so easy. Okay. <laughs> this is using reverse psychology. And there's a technical term for it in psychology called mediated catharsis. And what you're doing is you're helping the other person to get stuff off their chest that normally they wouldn't say because if they said it, you would say, you know, you need a timeout. So sometimes their frustration will turn to anger and then they'll vent and you say, you better calm down, take a timeout. 
So that's why they don't bring it up because they're going to get a time up. And so it kind of looks like this. So, you know, you worry that your teen is doing too many video games or whatever, and you knock on the door and you say, uh, hi, what? It's mom. Yeah, so? I had an idea about the homework thing. What? Yeah, I had an idea. You know, humor me. Let me just run it by you. Yeah, just let me run it by you. So you go in there and you look them right in the eye. So this is reverse psychology. And you say, honey, say this to me. And they're looking at you. And if you feel it, lean into it. Say these exact words. Mom, will you get off my back with the homework already? Every time you come in and tell me about that, and you get on my back, it's the last thing I want to do. And I can't wait till you get out of the room. And you know what I do? I don't do my homework. I do more video games because you're just such a pain in the rear. So can you put a sock in it sometimes, mom? So honey, could you say that? Say that to me, honey. So you're giving them permission. It's called mediated catharsis. And if you do it well, they're going to start giggling. The reason being, a lot of teenagers hate hating their parents. They don't know where it comes from. And it chills them. They don't know why they're so angry. But what's happened is you've given them a vehicle for safely getting it off their chest. And in a number of cases, they're going to be grateful to you that you enabled them to express their anger, get it off their chest. And sometimes they're being grateful that they could get the anger off their chest crosses over into appreciation in doing their homework. Okay, I'm going to try that. And if it works, I'm going to write you a check and drop it in the mail. Okay, that is a good approach. I think a couple of my kids would love permission just to help me write off using the script I hand them. That'd probably feel amazing to them. What was your favorite game when you were a kid? I can sure think of a few. I would sit at my grandma's table for hours with her and my grandpa King and play dominoes, specifically chicken foot, excuse me, represent. Well, guess what? It's 100% okay to play games as an adult. I still love them. And I'll tell you one of my favorites. It's called Best Fiends. Okay, so Best Fiends is a super fun puzzle game. And there's Really nothing else like it out there. I can hop in there for a bit and a different part of my brain switches on as I'm solving these puzzles. I love using that side of my brain. Plus, they're adding more levels and challenges all the time so it stays fresh and new. I'm actually obsessed. So engage your brain with fun puzzles. And trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this mobile puzzle game with a five-star rating is a must-play. You'll be really, really happy that you get it. So download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So that's like friends without the R. Best fiends. You weren't made to carry everything alone. And let me tell you, counseling has changed my life because I have someone who listens to me and guides me through some of my hardest moments. And I treasure that relationship. If you're thinking about finding that same kind of relationship with a counselor, I cannot recommend BetterHelp enough. With BetterHelp, you can connect with a licensed professional counselor in a safe and definitely private online environment. And BetterHelp has counselors who specialize in whatever you're dealing with 
like stress or anxiety, depression, relationships, LGBTQ issues, grief. Plus, BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid also available to those who qualify. I want you to start living a happier, healthier life today. As my listener, you can get 10% off your first month by visiting my sponsor, BetterHelp, at betterhelp.com slash for the love. Join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. As you mentioned a second ago, you've actually written a lot of books. I'm really interested in the concepts that you write about in your book called Just Listen, because you really do have the secret to getting through to absolutely anyone. I'm honestly thinking a lot about myself right now as you and I are having this conversation. In addition to my listeners and my community, 2020 was such a hard year. And some of our best communication practices just dissolved they just disintegrated under the pressure. You know, we just were in the same house with these people for so long without our ordinary outlets. Just the internal pressure that we've, and fear, loss, and grief that we've all just, we just walk around carrying every day has had, you know, real world effects on our capacity to listen to one another, to maintain empathy, to stay in our better zip codes with one another. I mean, I've seen some of the worst of me come out just under the pressure. And so can you talk about some of the stuff that you write in Just Listen when it comes to getting this back on track, getting the train back on the tracks, when we are reprioritizing what it really means to listen to and connect with people again? Well, I'll share an anecdote that includes uh, Oprah Winfrey. So Oprah Winfrey sometimes reports for 60 minutes. She's an occasional reporter. There was a report in which she focused on, I believe, a child abuse clinic in, I think it may have been in Wisconsin. She says to the reporter, it was the most life-changing story I've done in my entire career. That's a lot for Oprah Winfrey to say. And the reporter said, why? And she said, you know, abuse kids act out. It's not like they're lying there. I mean, you know, and they act up. And she said the whole attitude of the staff, not just the behavior, but the attitude, is whenever anyone acts up, they basically say, what happened to you that caused that? And the kids go, what? And basically, they believe in the inherent goodness of these kids. And they say, what happened to you that you acted that way? So if you can keep that in your mind, that whenever anyone, your family is acting up in a certain way, if you could say, what happened to you? This is kind of what you're doing. And what you're looking for is fear, frustration, exasperation. And then you want to drill down into it. You know, I have a new book out called Why Cope When You Can Heal. But there is an exercise, and I'm going to give it to you, and it's in Why Cope When You Can Heal. So here's what it looks like. You get a journal, and you think of someone, a mentor, living or dead, a parent, a coach, a teacher, and you get a picture of them, and you paste it in the inside cover of the journal. And then facing that, you're going to have these prompts. Think of a mentor that you've had in your life, uh, someone who 
you know, just has your back and believes in you, someone living or dead? Pick one. Okay. Can you think of one? Yeah, I've kind of just got an image of my parents, both of them together, like as a unit, just kind of my North Star. Okay, so you have a picture of them. You paste it in the cover. And so imagine you're upset. You know, you're upset with the kids, you're upset, whatever. And so you see that picture and imagine they're saying this to you. And the next thing, you can do this. You can get through this. So they get your attention. And then they say, write down the, the date and the time. Because, you know, you're going to keep track of these things. And you write them down. And you hear them speaking to you. They say, Jen, what happened? You know, and you write down, well, so-and-so did such and such. And then the next question is, what did you think when they did that? Oh, I think they're so spoiled. I think, you know, you know, I think I'm a lousy mother. I blah, 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 blah. And then you imagine them saying, Jen, what would you feel? I feel worn out. I feel sad. I feel angry. And then the next question is the most important one. What does it make you want to do? So they're wanting you to express the impulse instead of acting on it. And I feel like avoiding them. Because I feel like if they say something, I'm just going to say something mean and it's, and it's, it's not going to help the situation. And then you imagine your parents looking at you and saying, Jen, yeah, take a deep breath. What would be a better thing to do, Jen? Mom and dad, what we're doing now? What we're doing now? I mean, uh, I'm just realizing, uh, boy, did I luck out with you. Boy, did I luck out with you. And that's the better thing. And then the final thing is, well, why would that be better? Well, you know, Mom and Dad, uh, as I'm just thinking of you talking me through this, I can feel myself calming down. And why it's better is I realize how much I appreciate you. I'm grateful to you. I'm blessed to have you. And I'm so overflowing with that. I kind of forgot what I was ticked off about. So, and then they say, remember, we love you and you can always call on us. But can you see how that might talk you down? Sure, absolutely. And sometimes, again, kind of going back to your earlier point, even in this scenario what's, where it's kind of invented, it's sort of an imagining the discussion, but it's a sense of feeling just seen and heard a little like a place for those feelings to go, to land, to be said out loud that somebody heard them and observed them and held them and made a little room for the ways that we feel sometimes. And something about that's powerful in and of itself. Well, one of the reasons we recommend that, so you can do the journal and just do a checklist and all that. But from my own background, positive affirmations have never worked for me. And I think part of it is, at my core, I'm not an I, I'm a we. And at times, I'm a lonesome we. And so when I can picture any of those people, any of those seven dead mentors talking me through it, I can accept it when it comes from them. And it may just be my you know, idiosyncrasy, but positive affirmations that I say to myself, like, here's an interesting thing that I think you'll find funny. I can be tangential. I think this interview is going pretty good compared to how they can go off the rails. And sometimes when I do an interview and I'm, all, I'm tangential, I'm everywhere, I'll call one of, my, one of my dead mentors 
uh, like Warren Bennis, big leadership guy. He was the last one to die. And I'll say, Warren. And he's like, what? I'm, I'm sleeping, Mark. I'm sleeping. What is it? I did it again. What, 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 Mark? I was on a podcast. I started stories. I didn't finish them. You know, the host was being pleasant. She didn't know what point I was making. I didn't know what point I was making. Warren, when am I ever going to learn to get more organized and be more concise? And he says to me, Mark, Mark, what do the hosts think? I think she wants me back. You know, Mark, Mark, you're spontaneous. You're not polished. You are what you are. She wants you back. And you know what I'm going to say to you every time you wake me from the dead, Mark, with one of these complaints. And I just remember him. And I say, yeah, Warren, I know what you're going to say to me. Put a sock in it, Mark. (laughs) And I just feel his love. I mean, I just feel his love and I miss him. And, you know, it's really fascinating. I love that. Yeah. Brene Brown calls that her brain trust. And they are invented. Well, they're real people. Some of them in real relationship with her. Some of them not. They're just like mentors from afar. But she puts them in her mental brain trust and consults with them. Absolutely. Um, just like that. And that it's a very powerful practice, actually, to kind of force ourselves to listen to somebody else's perspective who we know loves us, who we know is wise, who we know has really salient things to say about whatever story we're telling ourselves at that any given moment. I love that idea. And I love the idea of putting it down in a journal too, kind of out of the realm of just thoughts. For me, writing something down has always had a real powerful visceral effect on what I'm thinking, what my trajectory is about to immediately be or not be. And so I think that is a fantastic, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do that. I want to ask you this because you have decades at this point of working with people and inside relationships and the ways that we listen and don't listen, the ways that we engage and don't engage with one another, which isn't necessarily something we were taught well. Most of us did not grow up with that sort of instruction, that sort of soft skill, if you will, unless we had really, really exceptional parents who were very intentional about teaching us things like that. But as you've studied the world and its people, how have you seen a lack of listening, like going back to the beginning of the interview, when you really were talking about leaning in, when you were really talking about eye contact, when you were talking about responding to someone in a way that helped them feel less alone and heard and seen and valued and known. How have you seen the lack of that practice hurt people? Like not only in their careers, but in their personal relationships, like what's the, what's the shadow side of us assuming that this is optional work? Well, the shadow side, and this is not going to get me uh, employed by any of the tech companies. I believe some of the tech giants, Bezos, Musk, Zuckerberg, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, I believe all of them are pretty poor interpersonal relationships. I believe that when they were in high school, they couldn't get a date and many of them didn't even shower, but they loved Radio Shack. They did. And what happened is they loved technology and they got a rush from technology and a rush is adrenaline. Closeness is oxytocin. And they addicted the world to adrenaline and excitement. 
And that's why you have extreme sports. That's why you have people wanting to get more followers. That's why on TikTok, people do outrageous things. Because what's happened is we have become addicted to adrenaline. Adrenaline now drives dopamine. Years ago, oxytocin also drove dopamine. Just feeling close, feeling loving, closeness helped us to feel pleasure. But because of the drive and the intensity, oxytocin has, is atrophying. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I'll bet you know women who could relate to this. So, so I'm retired, but when I, and I coach more women than I coach men because women seem to be more coachable, whereas men, it's, they need the stuff, but they have that, I don't want to ask for directions uh, kind of thing. And another technique in surgical empathy is when you're talking to someone And I learned this from a good friend of mine who ran the Marines in the 1990s. And I was part of a transition program with him that helped returning Marines. And all the returning Marines said the most valuable part of the transition program was the hour and a half one-on-one time they had with General Marty Steele, my friend. And I said, Marty, what'd you talk about? He said, I use the five realies. I said, what's that? He said, you know, when people talk, like a Marine, we'd say, Marine, what's going on? Well, you know, it's kind of a change to be in active duty and go home. And he'd say, I understand it's a change, but what's really going on? Well, when you go home, you know, you get into spats and, you know, and sometimes you get into arguments and it's kind of frustrating. Well, I understand you get into spats and it's frustrating, but what's really going on? And he says, when I get to the fifth really, sometimes they would look at me like a deer in the headlights and they'd say, sir, I did and saw horrible things. And when I close my eyes, sir, I see them more clearly, so I don't close my eyes much, sir. And he would give them a direct order. You have to put that aside, because if you've been an active duty Marine, we've all seen and done awful things. And you've earned the right to a life, and he saved lives. So when I used to see these women, you know, they'd come in and, oh, I'm overwhelmed and such and such. And these are wonderful, dynamic, high-driving women. And more than a few of them, I'd say, yeah, I understand that, but what's really going on? Well, you know, I'm not, you know, my spouse and I aren't really talking, and my kids, such and that. I said, yeah, but what's really going on? And when I get to the fifth really, more than a few, see if you can picture this, would say, I can't find my warmth or my patience. What? I can't find my warmth or my patience. And if you don't have warmth or patience, you're not much of a woman. I don't know where it's gone. But then they start to open up from there. You follow me? Absolutely. And I think what's happened is we've all been adrenalized. Can I share an anecdote from Hollywood High? Please do. So I was part of a panel at Hollywood High School a year ago. And you can look it up, Surgical Empathy, Hollywood High School, and the Seven Words. That's the title of it. So I'm part of the panel and there's two life coaches and someone else. And whenever I'm on a panel, I say, let me go last because I'm pretty good at figuring out the disconnect and then I can try to make the connection. And so this is in the cafeteria and they're getting restless. And the other panelists are great. They're very informative. They're sharing great information, but they're getting restless and they especially get restless because by the time it comes to me, the pizza comes in and even I don't want to hear what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So I'm competing with pizza and, you know, and three people who have been a little bit pedantic. 
So they're looking at me in the cafeteria, and I said, "I want to try. I want to try something else." I said, "I, I recently uh, co-moderated, co-created a documentary where I interviewed this fellow Kevin Hines. He jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, and and that documentary you can find it's Stay Alive, an intimate conversation about suicide prevention. You can find that at the site Truly T R U L I dot com. Truly Stay Alive. That's the documentary. So picture this: they're looking at me." And the people that invited us are behind them watching this going on. And I said, I'd like each of you to think of the worst moment in the last week for you. Huh? Now raise your hand when you can picture it. Go there. And so one by one, they raised their hand. I'd say, good, you're there. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of words, and you're each going to say the word that fit. You're going to say it aloud. Anxious depressed, frustrated, overwhelmed, numb, angry, ashamed, lonely. And one by one, they gave their word, angry, lonely, ashamed. And after they said that, I said, how did that feel? They said, that felt great. I said, why? Those are all pretty downer, negative things. How could it feel great? And they said, I felt less alone. I felt less alone for the first time in a long time. Oh, did you judge anyone? No. Let me ask you, do you feel like you're in a group of very, very special people? Oh, yeah. What had happened is they shared a special vulnerable moment without judgment. And I said, here's your challenge. There are four emotions that you live with in your day-to-day life. Excitement, boredom, fear, anger. Excitement, boredom, fear, anger. And this was none of them, and it felt better. So I want you to write down those words and reach out to people you're worried about and say, you know, you heard something from this crazy psychiatrist who talked at the high school. And when you ask them how they're doing, and they say, well, I'm doing fine. You could say, really? Now think of a bad time and try on one of these words and then just keep them talking. And what happened is the people arranging the panel One of them came up to me afterwards. He said, it was fascinating. I said, what? He said, I was behind them. And when you did that exercise and they went from, you know, from left to right, they each tensed up because they were on the spot. And when they said their word, anxious, they relaxed their shoulders. He said, it was like watching dominoes fall one by one towards you and the panel. Wow. That's so easy to recreate. In fact, you don't even need me. If you're listening to this, just try it somewhere. I'm starting a new show on LinkedIn Live. I hope I'll have you as a guest. It's called No Strings Attached. I'm going to give away everything I know, every idea I have, every process I have, and they're all free. Wow. You want to make a course? You don't owe me anything. You don't even have to attribute it to me. Because at my age, what I've discovered, and I was inspired by a friend of mine, Marshall Goldsmith, who has something called knowledge philanthropy. Because at my age, what Marshall told me is he said, you know, NDAs are a pain in the rear. You know, if you got ideas and you got enough money, just give it away. Just give it away. No strings attached. You know, don't be paranoid. You know, an idea that can help the world, if you got enough money, just give it away. So it's going to be absolutely no strings attached. Wow. I love that. I absolutely love that. In fact, I've given away, I think, some tactics 
that I'm not into program design, but I think I've given away some tactics even in this interview that people could build courses around. If you go to my LinkedIn, we already have some teasers up, little five-minute things in which I just give away something. Fantastic. My, my most recent teaser, and I'll leave you with this. Feeling low, feeling down. Here's a habit. I don't do it every day, but I do it most days. When you wake up, turn on your phone and make a video thanking someone and text it to them. And the thank you should have three parts. You thank them for something they did specifically. Then you acknowledge the effort it took. You know, you went out of your way. You didn't have to do that. And the third thing is you thank them. You tell them what it personally meant to you. And if you're doing it correctly, you'll be a little emotional when you do the third thing. And I've been doing that. And so what happens is if I'm feeling the doldrums, doing that lifts me up. But what also helps, although I don't get attached to the result, I'm getting back text messages where people say, I watched that video six times today and cried each time. If that doesn't make you feel better, pff, I don't know what would. Absolutely. What a great tool. It's, that's just the sort of low-tech, easy-to-reach-for tool that can absolutely turn a day around. Absolutely turn it. It's not fancy. We don't have to go to, you know, 100 hours of therapy to learn that. That's the stuff that works for me too. Being grateful, being thankful, connecting with another person. And I want to ask you one more question, Dr. Goulston, before I reluctantly have to let you go off of this call, because I have a feeling I could talk to you for about 100 hours. One thing I love that you said recently is that the right words have tremendous power to heal. And I'm still thinking about that. I'm thinking deeply about that sentence because obviously we're in a very fractured moment in our world, definitely in our culture and our country where we're all healing from something. We're all in some level of recovery right now. I definitely am. Definitely am. And I wonder what, you could say to us as we seek right now, turning into a new year, to reconnect with ourselves and with those we love and serve, with this sort of North Star idea that the right words sincerely do have tremendous power to heal. Well, I don't know if this is a direct answer. It's a slight tangent, but I think I'll get away with it. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll allow it. So here's a phrase having horror heard helps heal hurt. Having horror heard helps heal hurt. Where do you apply that? You can write that down. And, and we're all seeing scenes. Now as the surge goes up, almost everyone's now knowing someone who's had COVID. That's right. And the number of people who know people have died from it is going up too. Yep, that's right. And some of those people are young. They have their whole life ahead of them. And something you could say is to someone is, I heard this crazy quote, having horror heard helps heal hurt. And then you say to someone, does that make sense to you? And most people will pause and say, yeah, I think so. And then what you say to them, tell me about something horrible. 
You see how that tees it up? Yeah. Boy, I got you at hello and goodbye. You did. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. You know, I think it's just, it's so good to talk to you because collectively, but also very personally, I and we are just in a fragile place where things feel wobbly and some of the systems and advantages even that we've counted on that we thought were a guaranteed thing you know we don't have anymore and it just feels powerful to lean into this really important work of being a good listener being a thankful human being being someone who is committed to creating opportunities for the people that we love to feel less alone it's a big deal Gosh, it's a big deal to just, I can't, I keep thinking about what you said with your one client after six months, you know, where she just said to you, maybe if you understand it, then this is no longer what I'm going to have to do. Maybe I don't need to take my own life because I'm understood. I'm seen. Do you ever find yourself shoe shopping online and wondering if the shoes you buy will be as comfy as they are cute? Listen up. Your shoe search is done. You just need some Rothy's. You know I love my Rothy's. (laughs) I slip on my leopard print Rothy's every time. I need to feel just a little bit more fierce. They're adorable. They're so comfortable. Plus, they are fully machine washable. And lucky you, Rothy's come with free shipping and free returns if you need it. So you can easily find your own perfect pair or two or 10. I don't know your life. I'm such a big believer in buying products that work for me and also work for our planet. Rothy's happens to be super sustainable since they are made from plastic water bottles. I kid you not. So check out all the amazing shoes and bags and masks available right now at rothys.com slash for the love. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S, rothys.com slash for the love. Style, and sustainability meet to create, I promise, what's going to be your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash for the love today. Okay, back to our show. I wonder if I could just ask you one more question. And this is a question that I actually ask every guest at the end of our incredible conversations and you can answer it any way that you would like to answer it. We have received every sort of answer on this, but we would like to know what is saving your life right now? Here's my brain. There's an anecdote about Abraham Lincoln going between towns and he sees a horse stuck in a ditch. And he drives by it a couple hundred yards, and then he turns around, and he gets back to the horse, and the people in his group say, what'd you do that for? And he said, I couldn't get the pain of the horse out of my head. So what drives me, and people say, it sounds really depressing, Mark. I don't get depressed. I get sad for people, but I seem to be able to give people a little bit of hope. I seem to be able to lessen people's pain. And when I see that I'm able to do that, it doesn't get much better than that. So it's a calling. I can't get it out of my head. 
And I'm always thinking of ways how to lessen fear, anger, and pain. Mm, Wow. That is a life well spent right there. Thank you for bringing your gifts to bear to my community for an hour to help lessen somebody's fear or pain today. I know you've done that for me. I'm really grateful. Can you just tell my listeners quickly where they can find you, where they can find your new course, your books, all of it? Okay. So markgoulston.com, M-A-R-K-G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N.com. And whycopewhenyoucanheal.com is the site for our latest book. And there's excerpts on surgical empathy. Also, I have a podcast called My Wake Up Call. And 130 of the 150 episodes, my guests like Larry King, Norman Lear, Esther Wojcicki, Margaret Heffernan, Tom Steyer, Ken Blanchard. More than 90% of the people say it's the most vulnerable they've ever been. Wow. And I get eight requests a week to guests. I say, it's going to be personal and we don't have to post it. And so far, all but two people say, no, I I love it. I'm going to post it on my website. You know, you just brought out a side of me that I know is in there. It just never comes up. So that's my wake up call. And then on LinkedIn, LinkedIn Live, if you go to LinkedIn, Mark Goulston, you'll see no strings attached. Thank you for the uh, privilege of being on your show. It's kind of intimidating. I've seen some of the guests you've had and wow, that was a pretty high bar to reach. Well, you and I have both had the lucky fortune to sit across from some pretty incredible human beings on our show. And today is just another day in my list of incredible people that I've gotten to meet through this podcast. And so the pleasure is all mine. The privilege is all mine. So thank you again for coming on today and for all that you do in the world. It's just so meaningful. Thank you, Dr. Goulston. Thank you. Okay, guys, as mentioned, everything that we talked about, everything Dr. Goulston mentioned today in the course of this show will be over at jenhatmaker.com under the podcast tab, and you'll see this episode. We'll make sure that we link to all the incredible resources that he mentioned so you can find them all in one place, including all of his books, his socials. So I'd like to hear what you heard today. Go to wherever I've posted this, wherever you've heard it, and I'd like to hear what you took away from this, what you tried, what sort of communication tool you tried out with the people in your life. I'll let you know me too. I've got a handful of things that he said today that I heard deeply that I have done the opposite of (laughs) with a couple of people that I live with. And I'm going to try this. I'm going to see what happens. And so We sure love bringing conversations like this to you. I want them to matter. I want them to mean something to you. I want them to be useful and inspirational and practical and helpful. And so today's just hit all those marks, I think. Thank you for listening and subscribing. Thank you for sharing the podcast that you love. That's, we see when you do that and it's fantastic. So Laura, Amy, Abby, the whole podcast team, and then Amanda and I are just so grateful so grateful to serve you guys. 2021, we have so many plans for this space, for this community and for this show. So keep on coming back. I'll see you next week.